Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hi, I'm Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. Promotion, congratulations. Mm, thank you. And joining us in the room is Bruce Daisley. Bruce, you run the Twitter business in Europe, Middle East and Africa. Hello there. Hello. Uh, I've got some other stuff from you because you've got quite an, uh, an amazing list of accolades. Before you were at Twitter, you were a director of YouTube and display at Google. And the list of your achievements is massive. You have to expand it on LinkedIn. It's amazing. So um, in February 2014, in a survey of CEOs and MDs, you were named the fantasy hire that most leaders would like to make, which you also won in 2013. You've been named the most inspirational leader in the media sector, number seven in the drum digerati list in 2014. You've been in the Evening Standard's top 1,000 most influential Londoners, 14, 15 and 16, in Debrett's 500 most influential people in Britain in 2017. Uh, and it, the list goes on and it's amazing. But you also... And first for us, you run a podcast on work culture called Eat, Sleep, Work and Repeat, which you can find at eatsleepworkrepeat.fm and all good uh, podcast stores. Good. Wow. So straight in, what does the vice president of Twitter, Emir, actually do? Right. I mean, I mean, firstly, just quickly on those LinkedIn things. You know, like everyone's got a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. And by that, by that I mean the hate-hate. Yeah. But... You sort of, you, you want to update it. So like anything, any, I never send, I never clip anything. I never send anything to my mum. But sometimes <laughs> if something weirdly, unexpectedly good happens, I put it on my LinkedIn. So sorry about that. It does seem a bit showy off, doesn't it? Um, what's the, um, a person at Twitter do? You know, there's an interesting thing that like, you, the further you get away from the work, the less you're actually involved in things. It's like the, the delight, the best job is the one where you can get up and feel like you're having an impact. And my job is sort of watching other people capably doing their job. Mm. And actually, if they're capably doing their job, then I just try and spot bits where they could use help. It's basically supplying bits of energy to people doing their job. So, you know, there's lots of people out there trying to spread the word on Twitter. And sometimes that's really easy and sometimes that's really, really hard. And so my job is to sort of provide injections of energy to the people doing that. I love that. What does last, what did last week look like? So that's easy to say, but what does that look like? Yeah, I was in Dublin for a couple of days and, uh, at the, uh, a conference there and going to see the team there who are amazing. And then it's a lot of, I tell you, my job is sort of chatting to middle-aged men and women on video cameras. Um, which, you know, if you'd have told me when I was 19 that that was what I was going to end up doing, I don't think I'd have been very excited Would about you've it. Would disa- you have been disappointed? I mean, you know, when you envisage the future, it's a bit like, you know that truism that the meeting that you're not allowed to go to, mm-hmm. you always think that's where the big stuff happens. So you're like, you, you sort of, you? as you're ascending a career ladder, oh. you always think, I tell you what, I, I, I always stuff. think the meeting with me in is the one that's the one to be in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you think they're discussing the good stuff. The managers all come out that yeah. three-hour management meeting. And now you're in the meeting. And then you go into it and, and you're like, right, okay, this is actually quite mundane. The one above this one. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happens. And yeah, you know that sense uh, that, like, constantly you think the good stuff's happening in the next no. meeting. And so you enter the next meeting and you're like, right, okay, not this one. Right. I don't know how we got into that. No, no. that's yeah. really interesting. Um, you, look, we've talked about your LinkedIn profile. You've been very self-deprecating about it, but it is uh, very, of course, very impressive, and you've got massive of influence out there, particularly in the digital digerati. We might call you, we might call you right. leader of the digerati. Right. Um, 
How did you get there? What attributes? Our, our listeners are very usually very interested in personal attributes. And which of them would you say just came to you naturally? And which ones have you had to work on and learn? Yeah. So, um, so the the main thing I think is that I have always thought I'll have a <coughs> excuse me. I'll always have a go at something. And by that, what I mean is like I grew up in a council estate in Birmingham, and uh, and so like I was the first person in my family to go to university, which isn't uncommon. Mm-hmm. But I got my first job because I was back on the dole in Birmingham after being at university, and I spent about six months on the dole, and I drew a cartoon CV of like my life so far and I'm not the best cartoonist <laughs> in the world and I think in this sort of the era of desktop publishing mm. and, and more sophisticated thing it looks quite raw now it looks I mean quite embarrassing at times when I look at it. anyway I sent that off to loads of record companies <laughs> and while I didn't get a job from it I got lots of work experience I got lots of phone calls from mm. drunken wrecking or to get sex <laughs> on a Friday afternoon I mean it was like it was embarrassing I'd get phone calls there's me sitting watching neighbours at home mm. and there's a, another drunken record exec on the phone saying this CV's incredible and I thought right okay well that's obviously quite good I sent it off to Capital Radio and ended up getting a job there yeah. but through a succession of things like that <clears throat> I've always thought right I wonder what you could do to have a go here I wonder how yeah. so it was just basically a series of trying things that I think wouldn't work. I'll give you a good example. I've started yeah. doing my podcast now, yeah. and my podcast about work culture. And I thought, I wonder if I could get that person to go on. And what you tend to find is the people that you're contacting don't get contacted that often. So, like, I've got a few people coming up who are just, I'm astonished they're hmm. coming on to talk to me. Is it just because no, no names? Well, like, you know, I've got this guy coming on who, um, I've, I've got like some sort of chefs who've uh, run restaurants. Oh. I've got a guy come on whose most famous book is he wrote The Art of the Deal with Donald Trump. Oh, him, yeah. And, and you know, and actually he's written a book Amazing. about work culture. And yeah. so, like, you know, I just contacted him. He said yes. Um, and it's just... Brilliant. A lot of the people I've contacted have just said yes. So it's... And it's a bit it's trying things. And you think that's innate. No, you just grew I, up. No, I don't. Yeah. I, I, like, I was immensely shy. When I first right. started... When I first started my first job on my 16th birthday, I was scared to talk to anyone. Mm. And, you know, like, really sort of... Hard, hard to... Hard, hard to, to tell them that. I was really scared to talk to anyone. Yeah. And I actually, I thought I'd be fired if I, if I talked to anyone. And, you know, when I first started at Capital Radio, I was scared to present. I was scared to to phone mm. people. You know, like, all mm. the things mm. that everyone... Yeah. The self-doubt everyone suffers from. But what I found was the more you have a go, actually, the more... I visualised people I admired doing things. So my mate Gavin was a great presenter. I'd always think when I was presenting, how would Gavin do this? Mm. You know, when you watch your friends yeah. do it, you know they're capable of it. I think, okay, how would Gavin do it? And so it's it's those sort of things, really. It's trying, it's just having a go. And I tell you what, like, it, you never remember the things that you have a go at that don't work. And you always go, oh, that, that, that one turned out all right. Yeah. Cool. Fascinating. You've worked at both Google and Twitter. What do you think each could learn from each other? Right. I mean, Google's the most formidable business in the world. So, like, no one can take that away from them. I think what you end up with in a business like Google, um, it's vast. There's a lot of people who are doing certain jobs. I think, you know, you reach a certain scale and it's an inevitability. But there's a guy called Dan Pink who's written a brilliant book uh, about motivation and, mm. and life. And, and actually, he reduces probably the, the best reductive thinking about 
your career. And he says that a good job is a combination of autonomy, autonomy, purpose, and mastery. So mm-hmm. mastery is getting better at something, feeling like you're learning. Mm-hmm. Purpose is this stuff matters in the real world. Mm-hmm. And autonomy is I've got the power to, to influence and, and impact on the things I'm doing. And I think, you know, one of the challenges of businesses when they reach a certain size is they compromise on autonomy. You lose autonomy. Mm-hmm. In fact, and, and I think, you know, that's what I experienced at Google. You know, an interesting lesson on that, Netflix set out to specifically try and write down what their culture was. And they said, we're going to get bigger and there's going to be no rules as we get bigger. And yeah. So you have to define what that means. So what that means is there's no expenses policy at Netflix. Mm. Expenses policy at Netflix is do what you think is right for the company. So there's no yeah. red tape. You know, that thing that companies get bigger, there seems to be all these rules, yeah. all these meetings. You feel like you're in trouble about yeah. lo- rules that you never knew existed. Netflix tried to get around it that way, but I think that's, you know, that's one of the challenges. Twitter, in comparison to much smaller companies, so mm. we don't necessarily have those same challenges. Sure. That Netflix, because that's, that's on SlideShare, that document, isn't yeah. it? I've, I keep it on my desktop because it's fantastic. So if you search... Twitter, uh, Twitter, Netflix HR document. I think it's from two thousand nine. It, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, I interviewed the woman who who was responsible for it. Oh, really? And and her uh, name's Patty McCord. And it's an interesting thing because the 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 Netflix culture document. They go out. It's like one hundred thirty two slides of the worst <laughs> typed PowerPoint, and they even say it's like it's not designed mm. for aesthetics. But there's things in there that you might say that's not for me. So one of them is. They don't really encourage you to have holiday, vacation. Mm. And, you know, so a lot of people look at that and go, I don't want to work there. And they say, the the woman, Patty McCorn, mm. who wrote it with, with Reed Hastings, she said, the day we did it, we were worried we were going to lose half of our applicants. And they said, we did, but there were the half that we didn't want. Mm. So they wrote down things. And so you, you read it. One of the things they say in the Netflix culture document is that if you give an A for effort, but a B for performance, we're going to pay you off to leave. We're going to pay you to not be here anymore. And so a lot of people read that and go, wow, I'm, Hush. I'm, I don't want to work yeah. there. And that's their aim, really. Yeah. That, you know, quite often yeah. people talk about culture and what they mean is benefits. It's like we've got showers, we've got bike racks, we've mm. got, we, you know, we give you a party every summer. It's actually not what people care about. They're not, but they're, they're not really culture, they're benefits, yeah. they're like yeah. additional things. And Netflix is specifically like, okay, we do some of those things, we have a cappuccino mm. bar if that mm. helps. <laughs> but actually it's about, the it's the way the company's wired. Yeah. It's just a very different yeah. thing. So anyway, it's fascinating to chat to her because they're not afraid to say, here are the reasons why you might not like working here. Mm. And that's the reason why you shouldn't come here. Mm. So it's just interesting, yeah, yeah. you know, we normally define culture as, you know, we've got free childcare vouchers or whatever they are. And actually culture's not that. I think. And, and in no. fact, companies can have brilliant benefits and not so great cultures. Absolutely spot So on. you can make a mistake, can't you, if uh, you go somewhere for the... That's benefits. right. And people can be enchanted with this idea that, what, there's a restaurant there? Mm. That, you know, the rooftop restaurant mm. with three meals a day. I can eat mm. all my food here. But, um, but actually that's sort of misguided. There was, I read a, a brilliant thing. I chatted to someone this week, actually, and he calls that geek exploitation. He says what it is. It's about lowering the barriers between what your real life is like and what work is like. Yeah. So you end up working longer yes, hours. Yeah. Because, Oh, you know what? Yeah. Well, if I stay till seven, yeah. I can get free food. Yeah. 
and I can wear what I want and you know my boss skateboards around the office and you're basically reducing all of the distinctions between life and work and the consequences you work into uh, all those the, the other negative though about that is that even geeks need to get out of the office and experience a bit of fresh air and real life and and there's a problem I think in terms of productivity it's it's a short-termist yeah, maybe very short-termist yeah. but yeah but it's like it's using human asset people as like these Sweating disposable them. assets yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. what we're going to do we're going to burn you out for four years yeah and then you know, and, like, then re- and then you're yeah. replaceable. Yeah, burn it's, and replace. It's exactly a, that. It's almost like a formulaic approach. It's a very digital way of doing it. It's a formulaic approach yeah. to to keeping people happy. I'm, when sure, actually I'm, I'm sure there's really... an algorithm for it. Well, yeah. um, let's let who's who have been your most inspirational leaders? Do we mean has he who he's worked with or Bosses, or yeah, just anything, generally who, who generally led, yeah, who's, you can be in authority you but can, not have authority, yeah. right? Who, who have yeah, well, leaders got, that you've been you know, inspired by? Um, I love straight talking. So I love people who are as comfortable saying no that's bad as uh, saying that's good i mean i i adored my time working with tim bleakley which was uh clearly um now works at ocean outdoor um partly because he was direct and partly because he was a little bit eccentric in in a joyous way Hmm. um when i worked with tom tomasi tom tomasi went on to disney and it was just incredibly candidly honest, very yeah. direct. You always knew where you stood with him. Mm-hmm. And it might be you were in the relegation zone and it might be you were top of the yeah. league, but you always knew where clear. you stood with Tom. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Uh, so you're obviously very keen on culture and you've, also, you've got a podcast about it and we've spoken about it here. And you've written about it. You wrote on LinkedIn about it recently. Um, are you happy in work? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm you know... I love work and I laugh every day in my job, but um, I'm fascinated because there's been places I work that have had fewer benefits, fewer resources in the past, so they're pre- prior to this job, um, and have been really happy mm. and really motivated. And I've worked in places that have had all of the perks, the benefits, you could list them, It'd take you two pages on yeah. your, your letter to, mm. to list them, and they weren't happy, they were just, mm. you know, mm. they didn't have the same things, and that's what I'm so fascinated by. And um, and so the great thing is I've just been going and asking experts about yeah. it. And the fascinating thing I think you end up with is you end up with this sort of weird distinction where the, wor- the world of academia really knows the things that we're motivated by mm. and they tend not to intersect with the people doing it. So, for example, um, the thing that most people enjoy the most in work is flow, is being in a state of flow where... Yeah they're getting something done. You know, I bet most of us have heard the expression, I get into work really early on Thursdays because I get so much done. Mm. Or, you know, actually when I work from home, I power through work. Mm -hmm. And it's because the way that work is constructed now, we have constant distractions and interruptions. And they not only produce a dissatisfaction, but they also burn through our energy. Like we can't, we have a finite amount of attention or energy to give. Mm-hmm. And so when you're constantly interrupted, you feel like you're getting nothing done. And weirdly, the way that work's constructed now in our workplaces, they're constructed around open plans. Yeah. And what's happened was everyone thought open plans were like this brilliant anti-hierarchical statement, you know, kicking back against the man. And in fact, what's happened is you've created these open workspaces with like battery farms because people yeah. can't get anything done. They're constantly yeah. interrupted. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there was also a square footage 
issue yeah, per yeah. employee to be slightly cynical about it. But it's, it's really, we, I, sometimes people ask me about what do Mediacom, how do we keep our culture? And I say, what I think is, is that we spend a disproportionate amount of senior management time obsessing about our culture and, and always have. So mm. for, for all the time that I've been here. So I think time spent on being deliberate about it is one of the things that I think is important. But what do you think's really crucial if you, if you had a top three things to do to create a great work culture because my other observation is it's really difficult to shift so i've seen businesses try and shift culture so they've gone okay this is not the culture we want this is the culture we want here are the things we're going to do to create it it's very hard to create it it's also quite hard to dent so i've seen other cultures survive despite the fact that maybe they've gone through not great management um and it sort of survived it so it feels like it's very innate and yet of course, there's massive churn of employ of employees and staff. You know, it's not the same people. Oh, have you got a view? Because you've been spending some time thinking about it. What creates that great culture, and how, and can you change yeah. the culture? So you're completely right. I think you know it's a bit like you know when you've got a business that's creative, they yeah. tend to be creative because they think a lot about creativity. They talk a lot about creative creativity, right. and you know if you talk a lot about culture and you're aware of it, it tends to be that those things you, you tend to to look at the problems and you, you try and resolve them mm. more. So absolutely, the more you talk about it, I think the, mm. the healthier it is. Mm. I think, you know, the, the things I've seen are when there's a sense of um, purpose or something that isn't, that, that isn't, that there's a purpose or, or basically a greater motivation for why you're doing it. And that could be, you know, so it could be you, you're the person cleaning toilets in a hospital but you know that cleanliness in the, in the hospital yeah. is actually a really important component of the hospital being a success, being a healthy place to be. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're working to to this sort of lofty mission. But you're saving but more, lives yeah, overall. You're doing something, doing something that helps. You feel something. like you're, you're contributing right. yeah. to something. Um, so there's a balance between... Uh, I chatted to a brilliant guy, Paul Dolan, and he's about, you know... Uh, he, he said happiness... And I guess happiness to some extent is a component of a culture. But he said happiness, the production process of happiness, is what you choose to pay attention to. And so that's interesting. interesting. The more yeah. you go through that, the it's more... It's a nice way of like, it. It's a really simplified version mm-hmm. of it. So he says it's what you choose to pay attention mm-hmm. to. And so he says that, you know, we often have this dichotomy. You either choose pleasure, sort of hedonistic practices, or purpose, something that's got a, a meaning of value to it. And a happy life consists of both. So if, you know, you might think, okay, if I earn myself a couple of mil, I'll go out and live on the south of France in a, you know, a, a house in the south of France. And actually that would be an unhappy existence because there's no purpose to it. There's no greater meaning to what you're yeah. doing. And so getting a balance of those two things. And so his feeling is what you choose to pay attention to is an important production process of it. I'm not sure I've answered that, but you know, no. so, so good cultures tend to have purpose yeah. they tend to have um a greater meaning an aim to do something that's bigger than the individual and their own right that's fascinating so we've talked a lot about work culture are there any companies that you can see from the outside that you'd like to work in based on the culture that they have um it's a really difficult one to answer isn't it it's really hard. um yeah i mean like so the i, d- I don't know how about Netflix? We've the documents there. Would does that is that attractive to you? Yeah. So so look, I read the document. I chatted to Patty about the document. Fascinating person. She's she's now a consultant, but you know, incredibly interesting. Mm. 
I can't imagine that I'd want to work there. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine that mm. not at all I wouldn't want to work there. Mm. An interesting thing, so one of the things that correlates to being happy at work is having a close personal friend at work. Well, that's an mm. interesting, and most of us can recognise it. Having a close personal friend actually means that you've got an affinity to the organisation. And so I chatted to her and, and I said, it seems to me all the things that you've laid out here, you don't value having friendships at work. She mm. said, you're right. Mm. You know, but they're very stark, and yeah, it's just yeah. an interesting thing. Choice, so the thing with Netflix, they've made decisions that aren't necessarily popular decisions, but they're decisions that they think, you know, they articulate at the start of that document, you've read it, and they say, we think we're in the most competitive marketplace mm. in the world. Unless we achieve A-star results, we will not achieve our goal. And so as a result of that, we've got to engineer the whole company for mm. outstanding results. We yeah, can't yeah. carry people who aren't achieving outstanding results. Great, but you know, laughter for me is a big part of sure. joy of work. I think it's difficult to know what a culture of a company really is till you're in it. And I don't know whether that's why you can't answer the question. Yeah. Are you just thinking, well, it that promises well, but who knows? Yeah, you're right, yeah. though. It, it's a bit like, you know, when you buy a new flat or you rent a new yeah. flat, you don't know what the noises are going to be like yeah. from upstairs yeah. till you move in. You're like, I wish there was a way to, yeah. to second guess that. Yeah. No, you're completely right. So you can read things. I went to, I went to chat to the, the woman who runs HR for Itsu. I was really fascinated yeah. Yeah. with retail environments. Actually, you know, they're the only places that you ever feel like you get a perspective of what it's like to work. Yeah. Yeah, am I, am I, you get a sense of that. If you see all the staff, really happy yeah. and you have wonderful service you feel yeah. like you're inside the belly of it yeah. rather than at the the front end mm. so i went down to chat to the woman who ran itsu and um I, I just got the sense when i was down there that um oh, i have to edit that i can't remember what my point was mm. itsu what was we i can, saying about itsu it's julian metcalf isn't it yeah that's right i went down to chat to them and I know, I know what he said about, I know what he said about how he, uh, creates culture at Pret-a-Manger because he married, um, uh, Queen of Shops. Yeah. Asked right. him. Right. And he said his policy was simply to employ happy people. Okay. I don't know if that's the Itsu policy as well. That wasn't. Okay. The, that's interesting. Yeah. Which is in, which is interesting in itself, but, that's uh, a and, decision, and, isn't it? and it's very different from Netflix, yeah, isn't it? Just employ employ people that are going to look on yeah. the positive side. Not bad. That's good. I should go and chat to him. <laughs> yeah, 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 because that's the sort of vibe I wanted when I went to, ch- to chat to the Mary Portis. That's Mary Portis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Hire happy people. Hire happy. But then again, how do you filter for that in an interview? Uh, What's what's the worst thing that's happened to you, and how did you deal with it? Maybe? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't know. Um, what have you got to do? Back to your day job, vice president of Twitter, Amir. What's the most important thing that Twitter's got challenges, right? What's the most important thing that you think Twitter needs to achieve this year? Yeah, I mean, look. So, so it's interesting. Why why I'm always honoured to be in a company like Twitter is that you know I, you read books about companies like Twitter sure. and, and then you know you, you, end, you end up being yeah. in meetings with those people and chatting to those people so it's always fascinating for, if you've got a, an interest in the technology that's evolving around us it's fascinating to, mm. to do those things I think you know we've um, we've had a difficult time because I think the critical thing I think is that um, we weren't necessarily we, we had like a fundamental issue that every day two million new people come to Twitter still now every t- but a lot of them 
were unsure what it was about and they mm. left confused. And so the critical thing for us was, while you're live, while you're on stage, how do you improve that? How do you get more of those people to go through that confusion into mm. understanding? And that's the job. And I think the challenge when we first created Twitter was we had three months to do that. People would sign up, they'd give it okay. a month, didn't get it, and then eventually something would come along and they'd go, wow, I get this. Yeah. Now, that, that three months is reduced to a minute. People would download an app and they're like, right, show me the value straight away. And so... You've got some very famous people working for you in that sense, though, because the President of the United States is yeah. demonstrating <laughs> yeah. the well, use of Twitter, isn't he? Yeah. I think, you know, definitely, look, you know, I think 80% of people see tweets on the TV or yeah, on the radio yeah. or on the news yeah. every day. So we've got a really high brand awareness. And I think what we've really done over the last year and a half is try and re-engineer the program product to work right. better. So actually we're, we're in a state now where we've grown consistently for the last four quarters and our growth has been accelerating. Cool. So it's sort of unglamorous stuff, but yeah. I think the job right now for me Actual is... Actual functionality. Exactly. So <coughs> the job right now is going out and spreading the word on that and, and making sure that people are aware that, yeah, absolutely, you know, we, we had something that we needed to focus on, but now we've, we, we're delivering accelerating success there. That's the job, really. It's like exactly as you said there. You open with saying Twitter's had problems, and absolutely we've got to demonstrate to people that we're really accepting of those problems, but we've confronted them and addressed them. Really. I said challenges. Yeah, yeah. Challenges, opportunities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're now into the the questions we ask everybody. Um, so the the first question is: What advice would you give to someone just starting in our business? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well done. <laughs> you know, it's back to that thing that we just said before about don't just focus on your job. You know that thing yeah. where we were talking about, you know, if, if all you're doing is your job, then I think actually it reduces your creativity elsewhere. It's one of those things when you sort of, I know people read fewer books, I audio book them, but I tend to find when I read a book, I'm like, oh, actually, I've got three things I could steal from that. Yeah. But, of course, what happens is you're so focused on doing your job that those little bits of inspiration disappear. Mm. And so the more you can keep learning new things, they tend to have an indirect mm. benefit. So that's what I would say. And it's such an exciting time to try things out and do things. So whether it's, you know, mm. I've, I've found the benefit of creating my own website and doing a podcast to be really stimulating mm. because it creates different muscles in your head. So, cool. Fantastic. Um, this is uh, one of our popular questions. Hmm. If, if you were a genie, Bruce, which you, you may well be, actually, yeah. uh, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you? So, um, uh, actually, these are yours, these are aren't they? Win, yeah. uh, uh, Jaffa cakes and a Spurs shirt. I can't remember what mine were. But I can't remember. Anyway, anyway, commonly available objects. I right. must be able to. It can't be personal. It's got to be something I can go and Absolutely. Find. So uh, you gave me this before. So I'm thinking, what are the things that are sort of my DNA? Yeah. yeah. So I run every day. So trainers would go in there. Any particular brand, or do you know? Yeah, in fact, that? I'm like I'm a I'm a I'm avoidant of brand loyalty. I'm oh, really so interesting. I often try new brands. You're trainer for my skills. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You, have you not been measured or for your gait or anything you know, like that? You don't believe well, in I it? I think that's bad science. Wow. I'm not going to lie to you. I think the fact that they've got treadmills in there that you go in and, and a guy who's yeah. been trained twice says, right, you're overpronating. Yeah, interesting. I think that's bad science. What distance 
Do you do? I, I love my, yeah. Six miles every day. Six miles every day, nice. And like, I'm not interested in running a marathon, I'm not interested nope. in, I might do a half marathon one day to stop yep. people asking me about these. <laughs> but a six miles every trainers, day. Trainers, 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 yep, sorry. Rum, rum. Yeah, preferably dark rum, but yeah. rum. Yep. Rum. Um, I, my phone, I'm addicted to my phone, and so my other item there is going to be my phone charger. Okay. Well, phone, phone. Phone and charger, we, we can charger, have the two yeah, together. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then iron. I, okay. Oh, interesting. Do a lot of ironing. Is that one with the water in a steam base, or I, would you I just have an oil? I was heavily sold by John Lewis one day. I went in there, <laughs> and they sold me this iron, which is about the size of the decommissioned QE2. Like, <laughs> it's colossal. It's like yeah. the, the reconstruction. So it's the a man's house. iron, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, the, the woman who demonstrated it to me showed that you could pour it on a balloon. Now, I have no idea why no. that that is a benefit. <laughs> But I was so enchanted with, wow, this is an iron I can put on okay. a balloon. Good. So Meaning good. that it didn't burst the balloon. A, a big the iron. It. A big oh, iron. Yeah. Right, I've run out of another one then. What am I going to do there? Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll leave the charger in there because it, uh, it gives me five. So is that food? You, you, maybe some really food. food. You don't really, you're not, you're not. Nothing. Food's very Foods. functional for me. I'm vegetarian. No food. Food's very functional. That's really for me. interesting. The problem is, if you're a vegetarian, you basically turn up at restaurants and you've got one option. <laughs> yeah. So there's no point entering a restaurant with, I quite fancy this. It's like, yeah. I'm having risotto. <laughs> and the excitement's going to be, what's the risotto <laughs> with? Okay. Is yeah. it, you know, broad bean risotto? Am I getting. Just what sort of. Oh, a, a beetroot risotto. Well, yeah. It wouldn't have been what I chose. <laughs> but I'm not going to make a fuss about this. Well, that's it. So when you're a vegetarian, you can't care about food. Fine. Right? Um, after living things, what are the three things you would save from a house fire? So everything alive is safe. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I was reading something yesterday, a brilliant article by uh, Rebecca Nicholson in The Guardian, and she was talking about when you rent uh, accommodation, it forces you to have a yeah. very mm. sort of light-footed a approach things, to possessions. Right, yeah. and it, like, no, I've been yeah, absolutely. Mm. And actually, this is liberating. I, I recognise that she sort of expressed the duality of it. That yeah. like there's a conflict, yeah. but yeah. there's also a joy. Yeah. And so I'm like that. I don't really own anything. I mean, I, I've I've just bought a place to live in, but I, I don't really own anything. Certainly, nothing that I would care for. I've wow. got a TV. I've got an iron. I've got some trainers. <laughs> no personal. Nothing. Like I, yeah. I mean, but I scanned. I've scanned most of my old photos okay. so and things scanned. into my. Computer. So you're grabbing your phone then again? That's it. Fascinating. Okay. That's really interesting. I don't own a watch, I don't own a car. I'm not interested in those things. It's really interesting. Um, Favourite book? This was good. I quite liked this one because I couldn't think of it initially. Can I? The original one, with it, I've changed it, but the, the original question was what book have you given away the most? But most right. people haven't given away many books, so okay. we've had to change so it. So it could so, be favourite book or. Yeah, yeah so the away. only books I've given away, I gave away a book by Dav. David Sedaris called Barrel Fever. David Sedaris is like this American comedy writer. And Barrel Fever is actually different to most of his other books because they're sort of, they're comedy essays about things. He's gay and he talks about, one of them's about him and Mike Tyson in a gay relationship. (laughs) And, and, uh, or when he was with Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen always called him the boss. (laughs) And anyway, but that's, it was so funny that collection of, um, laugh out loud. Very laugh out loud. But my favourite book is probably The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which you couldn't get more of a contrast (laughs) because you'll sub all the way through that. But it was like, I don't know if you've read that book. It's like such an affecting book. It's about, um, 
He's he do, he's not a laugh a minute though, is he? That book, <laughs> honestly, I, I I seem to remember. I, I was reading it. It's one of those books where I had a meeting at MEC or something. I came out and caught a quick twenty minutes reading on a bench outside because I was so consumed with it. Um, yeah, it's an amazing book that is. So what's it? What's you've the basic? Got, I'm gonna tell you. Yeah. You've got a book with you today. Yeah. What's, what's that? Uh, the book with me today is um, is a book for my podcast. Ah. What's that about? It's uh, the Organized Mind by right. Daniel Leverton. Interesting. I mean, I'd recommend the Cormac McCarthy. Fine. Over that. <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> uh, what was yours? This is really oh. bad because I should remember. No, I, 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 a book that I've given away most, right. literally, is a book. A so that was the question. Right. No, no, no. It's a book. Um, not, not everyone that I've given it to has wanted it either. So hmm. outside of my own books, because I spend obviously quite a lot of time yeah. giving those away. Yeah. Um, but uh, is a book called um, Addicted to Perfection by Marion Woodman, which okay. is about con- the fact that many people and many, many women are addicted to perfection right. and that there is no hope in perfection, literally. And so it's better to give oh, up. Oh, fascinating. Addicted to perfection in a personal sense and in what we look for in other people. Yes. I can see that, right? Yes. Okay, okay. and that it's disastrous. Yeah, okay. Uh, but it's a real alpha male, alpha female, Western problem. Right, Okay. Because that was, I was reading Cheryl Sandberg's book last couple of weeks ago, and she said that women only apply for jobs if they think they're fully qualified. The Hewlett Packard. Yeah. It's Hewlett Packard stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a woman needs to be able to do 10, if there's 10 criteria, a woman needs to be able to. If a woman can only do six of them, she won't apply. And if a bloke can do three of them, he will apply. Give it a go. Yeah. 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 Okay. Addicted to perfection. Okay, nice. But I have to say that my other half said that it was almost impenetrable. Right. So <laughs> I'm not sure everyone that I've given it to has read it, but that's the bit literally that I've given away the most. So. Um, if you had to choose one person to play you in a I'm film about so your life... I'm looking forward to this I'm answer. I'm not sure I got down this one. Um, okay. I mean, it's like... The, when I worked in McDonald's as a kid, they used to call me Adrian Mole. I'm, actually, I'm not oh, sure really? that that would work for... Um, your younger, Do you? Uh, you've only recently changed the image on your LinkedIn. You didn't yeah, I was wondering if that was going to be the answer. <laughs> but, <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you know, when I grew up, um, sitcoms were like the thing that I sitcom and and comedy on TV yeah. was like the thing I loved. So just constant comedy. But I used to have a picture of Bob Monkhouse, so it's my picture mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. And then someone said to me, um, "Oh." On LinkedIn, you look like a young Bob. (laughs) 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 And you know what happened as well is that as you, as as sort of you and I, Sue, forgive me, will know who Bob Monk is. Absolutely, yeah. There's definitely people in the media come office who who probably have got a very. I would know he's a comedian, right? I've got a very casual understanding of Bob Monk. So consequently, then people start thinking, I have no idea why he's got why he's got a black and white photograph of. (laughs) Yeah. This guy on there, maybe he looks like that, and then so you start thinking, right? Okay, I've got to change yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I, but for but a long time you had Bob. Mark but Harris, it was my so subversive act against LinkedIn. It was like yeah. you know, I might be on there, oh, but, but I will not. Haven't forward. given in. <laughs> <laughs> I've given in now. <laughs> Uh, this is so. Uh, yeah, Bob Monkhouse could be the answer, but you're saying not. Actually, you didn't answer right, the question. Who would? Who would? Living or dead? Who could play you? Yeah, film, I mean, people yeah. always tell me I look like Peter Capaldi on, on, on 
Are you going to go, Peter Capaldi? I mean, I don't know. I think he, I think he could handle Bruce. I'm, I, I again, I'm, my ignorance is uh, coming to the fore here. You know him, Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Oh, right. From the thick of it, though. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was more associating. Yeah, who I immediately got was for the like. Paul Bettany for just the the aura, do you know, like the, right, yeah, the way he holds okay. himself. That's I like nice. I like Paul Bettany, but I'll take that that's what I got. Um, <laughs> if we were to give you a billboard uh, and it can go anywhere in the world, where would you put it, and what would it say? Right, I mean, this is probably where I'm meant to be a bit meaningful, isn't it? I mean, the <laughs> things that I have to we've had all sorts. I have to listen back to that catalogue. I mean, the things I get really angry about are. The property ladder in London and property in London. And I extend that through people can't buy houses and, you know, there's just a, a corruption in the system where all the properties are owned by older people or, or in foreign investors. But also, man, we're stepping over people in doorways yeah, in London. Absolutely. And it's disgusting. And it actually, disgusting. it's the thing that affects you most when you go to San Francisco. That, mm. that place is, is just extraordinarily full of poverty mm. but London's going the same yeah. way is it you know so your billboard would my say my billboard will be something that won't have much impact will, but will vent my fury about that That's lovely. I'm not sure in what way but uh, yeah something about that the final so the su- final surprise question is uh, which is a test of whether you listen to the podcast before so this is a hundred questions from the school of life around the corner right. that alan de button uh runs and so i've got three questions random. here random okay. so if you could i if you, you choose one right. read them out and i'll answer it please right i have turned down some genuine opportunities okay that's a good question isn't it um i i have turned down some genuine opportunities uh, just because I wasn't excited by them, I think. Is that yeah. they didn't make you smile, or is that it didn't have the future, or it didn't give you opportunities to grow? Or? Um, when I was debating going to to Twitter, I, there was a lot of reasons why I shouldn't have gone, and um, and you know people say nice things to you. Beware of flattery, because flattery all it does it sort of makes your eyes oh. flash a bit, and and. You're intoxicated by it, but it's like it's completely illusory, isn't it? Flattery, mm-hmm. and people say nice things to you, and then I just decided I was much more excited to go and do something that felt a bit more scrappy, that felt a bit less, you know, established, successful, and so turn mm-hmm. things down because they're not excited is probably a good idea, isn't it? Maybe. Wonderful. Wonderful. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bruce. It's Thank been you wonderful. Thank you for inviting me.